be one journalist of the year from the American Conservative Union at CPAC 2015. You like me right now. You like me. He's Jim Garrity. How do you like me now? Now that I'm on my way. She's a broadcast professional who's got pop culture by the throat and she won't let go. Crank up the radio. Run for your lives, everyone. This is not a drill. She's broadcast pro Mickey White. How do you like me now? This is the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by the federal government's Task Force X. Are you a dangerous criminal currently serving multiple concurrent life sentences? Are you looking for a way to earn time off of your sentence? Do you enjoy thrills and danger and an excellent chance that what you're being assigned to do constitutes suicide? Do you have strange powers or such dangerous psychosis that prison guards fear you? If that's the case, then contact Amanda Waller at the Pentagon's Task Force X program to see what opportunities we have for you. The Suicide Squad. There are no jokers around here. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. Welcome to the Dog Days of Summer here at the Jim and Mickey Show. Uh, First show in a little while, and uh, Mickey, I've been traveling, you've been traveling. Uh, Which one, one of us had the better trip? Uh, I think that they were uh, separate but equal, to coin a phrase, in the sense that you obviously went on. You guys are Republicans, aren't you? I knew it. Welcome back, listeners. (laughs) It's been a while. And let's just say I blame Jim Garrity. That's usually what I do, and I'm going to stick with that. Um, However, I've had a great trip home um, and, and really did enjoy visiting with some friends and seeing the fair. But Jim, you were traveling all over into Boston and hunting Pokemon, even into Canada, I understand. It is. And uh, in, in Canada, they serve the Pokemon um, fried uh, with cheese curds on top and gravy. They're delicious that way. Now, um, yes, long road trip involving visiting multiple friends in multiple states all up in the Northeast. Two Pokemons uh, and a beer. <laughs> well, that, I want to know if they call it Pokemon poutine. Uh, it's uh, it's Poketeen, I believe, is how they call it. Yes, um, and they all have antlers for some reason. It's very strange. Very very moose and caribou flavor. Um, no, it was all a, a very good time. Uh, it was a really terrific time to be way up north, since apparently, as I understand it, the entire uh, mid Atlantic burst into flame uh, from sheer heat. And Dave, I, I, I believe the temperatures in Texas were roughly the. Uh, uh, the, the the surface of the sun, or or was it all was it mitigated by all the flooding? We we got rain? to uh, we got to six shirt days. It's a new record for Houston, Texas, where you have to change your shirt six times during the course of a day because stepping outside soaks you like you walked into a shower. I have been unbearable to be around, to speak to, to talk to via the internet in any form because it's just too hot. It's too damn hot to think. I mean. Literally for the last week and a half, every time I would go to walk Shiloh outside, uh, for new listeners, Shiloh is my dog, puppy, actually. He's just four months old. And I go to take him outside, and he would literally, like his nose would hit the humidity, and he would park it. <laughs> and to be honest, I was like, I agree. I think we should go back inside. This is ridiculous. Sorry, not going anywhere. Yeah, so he and I have been doing some swimming in our little pool, but... I, I gotta tell you, I have I have said that if this continues, I will attempt to fry an egg at high noon on my driveway. <laughs> and I say this because I believe that it is possible. I honestly, um, for those of you who follow me on social media, and for those of you who don't, you're about to find out. 
I rode a camel on my trip. And uh, and that was part of my Pennsylvania has been decertified. <laughs> yes, what I could, what I thought was, was, you know, it would be great, but I don't know if the hand the camels could handle the humidity here. <laughs> they already got enough water for like two months, right? Right. I mean, I feel like you know they're dry, arid animals, and I don't know that they would necessarily dig on the humidity. I know I don't. And no one likes a wrinkly, damp camel. <laughs> they smell bad enough when it's dry, if you ask yeah. me. You gotta, all their bumps are pressed out. <laughs> They're just standing there looking like a tall cow. One hump or two hump, Mickey? <laughs> the one that I rode was a one hump camel. Well, it was actually like more like three humps, if that makes sense, because it was like a little hump, and it dipped down, and then a big hump, and then a little hump. You know what I mean? As far as like a dip down and then a little hump at the end. So There's I a Mickey's the, big boobs joke in there somewhere. Oh, nice. Well, <laughs> meanwhile, when you I'm got on it, it was you, a three hump. You, you make the boobs joke. <laughs> and meanwhile, I'm about to tell you, like, my number one concern with you was, like, you can sit on top of the hump. <laughs> and my first thought was, like, what about my woohoo? Like, because it didn't seem like that was such a good idea to straddle this massive bump or what have you. And that was my first thought, but I just rolled with it. As it turned out, it all worked out well. But it was really funny to me because one of my girlfriends from high school who I met up there at home with, uh, Jennifer, the first thing she said when she saw the picture was, oh, did that hurt your woohoo? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, but funny, you should ask. <laughs> Golly, I gotta hang out uh, with I'm your friends. To make sure the proper equipment to wear. <laughs> you can't right. really throw a saddle on well, that. I'm guessing camel so, guard. Uh... <laughs> I went to well, Egypt they, they and did have something for me to hold on to. Look, they I did went... have something for me to hold on to in the I pictures. I went to Egypt uh... and Jordan and Israel, and I didn't ride a camel. What the heck are you doing, riding a camel in Pennsylvania? <laughs> it was at the fair. Oh, okay. Um, it was okay. We we're walking around at the, the the county fair, which is part of the reason that we went home. Um, and there's a building there. Uh, some of you know, some of you may not know. I was a pageant girl-esque thing whenever I was growing up. So one of the awards that I had won was at the county fair. Yes, that means I was the fair queen. So there's a picture of me in full tiara and sash in one of the exhi- exposition buildings. And so... I decided every single year that I go home, which is not very often, we'll say like once every five, six years, I go home and take a picture of me with my face because it's still hanging on the wall, like the wall that's of honored of all the past queens. So central Pennsylvania, this is Miss Steel and Coal, 1998 or so? Shut up. Anyway, so I'm on my way over to the building to get the picture taken with my face. And we make the turn, and there's a man there, you know, carnival style, under the top with little miniature ponies. And I saw them and immediately said to Mr. Bias, oh, those are so cute. And then I was like, you know, if they have a camel, I'm going to ride it because there's a too small. And I have really no idea what, like, made me even suggest camel and not elephant or something else. But I said camel, and we did not take five more steps till I saw the camel rides. And, of course, needless the to Count say... The air gods heard your prayers. That's right. Yeah, so needless to say, the next thing was, I'm getting on the camel. <laughs> and so I went up and got on the camel, and all the children were jealous of me as I'm riding around waving on the camel and posing for pictures. <laughs> the fair queen instincts kicked in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so was there ever any explanation as to why there are camels at the county fair? 
I was really hoping for a Ferris wheel, but instead I got a camel. Um, I rode the camel and would not ride the Ferris wheel, so there's that. I, I kept all of our riding to things that did not leave the ground. Because even though as a child I rode all the rides at the fair, as an adult I was standing at the Ferris wheel as Mr. Byers threw away my water. And by the time he got back in line, I was like, I don't want to do this. And he said, why? And I'm like, can you not hear it? It was squeaking and squealing. And I was like, uh-uh. I was like, I think we'll start with the carousel. I think the carousel's a nice place to start. And, you know, we kept it to everything that didn't leave the ground or have anything that would fly off. And, again, I rode all of this when I was younger. But as an adult, you just look at it differently. You, you very rarely hear about those terrible carousel fatalities. Uh, right. You know. Exactly. But then we come home. And, and, of course, this is the week that, you know, everything happens in the news as far as amusement parks are concerned. And a very similar Ferris wheel was the one that was involved with the three children falling out it up dumping. And, of course, mm. upon seeing it, I'm like, see, see, I told you. I'm, aren't you glad we didn't ride the fair? All right, so the, when it was out in Kansas, the poor kid got died in that 18-story water slide or something like that. Yeah, uh, that was in Missouri, yeah. That, or so, yeah, somewhere out, the middle, somewhere out in the middle of the country where you get the feeling they're not, you know, used to dealing with water. Um, and I was right after I had taken the, the boys to Hershey Park, and we had done first the Super Duper Looper. Which was that. A, that was my first roller coaster. Really? Okay, so this is what, yes. as you know, this is a Category 5. This is no, no wimpy, you <laughs> no know. No joke. Yeah. I loved it. Uh, and the boys wanted to, you know, they wanted to go on a real roller coaster after going on the little, you know. You know the one where, like, you, you, you sit into a metal chair. Uh, there's the little guardrail on a chain that slides up and down, and it goes up, and you kind of spin around in a circle. They did that one. Like, like oh, the mousetrap? Yeah, yeah, we want a real roller coaster. And the line for the Super Duper Looper didn't seem that bad. And uh, it's because they keep most of it hidden away behind a wall. But anyway, we get online. To get inside. Uh, it was relatively shaded. Fine. Okay, we're on it. And I, I kind of knew, having looked at the map, this was a serious, you know, one of the big ones. It's going to turn you upside down and spin you around and all kind of stuff. Well, um, Mrs. Campaign Spot did not know that. The boys did not know that. And I knew that unless we gave them a real roller coaster, they're going to be like, oh, I'm going to be on that one. So we, we gave them that. And uh, everyone's lunch stayed down. Um, we have we have a terrific picture of all four. I'd say seventy five percent of our family looking utterly terrified. I'm gonna need to see that, so I, you can look, go ahead and privately email that to yeah, me. I look mildly but, yeah. I, I look I look dis, you know. I actually I saw. Okay, so the let me let me ask picture. you this: When the boys came off it, because the super again, this was my very first like real roller coaster as a child. I'd had you know the smaller ones, but this was the first one for me as well. What did your boys think? Did they want to go on another ride, or were they done then? Minds were blown. Now, they went on a Category uh, 3-1 after that. I don't remember the name. It was like a train. You know, and it went, that one went up and down and then kind of but not a over and under tight and spiral. Loop, yeah, yeah. No, no full loops. And then the last one we did for the day was kind of like, like the log ride or the water park part. Mm-hmm. But this one was one where I, I think you probably go up like, I'm going to say seven or eight stories up in the air. And yeah. you're and not. It's, it's a flume. It's yeah, a the flume. flume. There you go. And and you go around, and I'm, I'm going around. You know, it turns around very slowly, and you know you're getting closer and closer to it. And you're like, okay, how bad could this be? <laughs> Holding on to my six year old right next to me, just making sure he doesn't, you know, fly out of this thing. <laughs> and within a couple of seconds, I learned, yes, really, really bad. That's how far because it's a 45 degree angle drop, but to your stomach, it's about an 85. <laughs> You're going down very, very fast. You land into the water. 
uh, Splash and all that kind of stuff. So we, we had two for, – for guys who had done almost nothing in the realm of, of amusement parks and, and roller coasters you and things like, like that. You guys bit off right from the very get-go. You just went for gold. Yes, you did exactly. like mess around with like the minor leagues. You just – straight up into the show yeah. and after that it's like it's hershey park i just want to eat chocolate that's it we've done it we've had enough well, and that was the other thing i was gonna ask was what were i, I had you been to hershey park before uh as a teenager so okay. we're, we're did talking. you remember chocolate smell of the i air. did and that was kind of the you know the sense of like you know i described it to my boys and i'm sure they're picturing like charlie in the chocolate factory like they're they're, right. they're picturing you know and doing six day oh hershey park does have giant candy wrapper characters and and you know a giant hershey's kiss and a giant you know uh, uh you know hershey bar it and strikes me that uh, if they you, still do the factory tour if you get the uh eating chocolate and the roller coaster thing in the wrong order there could be some of those pictures at the top of the coaster with some serious projectile brown vomit <laughs> oh, yes. going on there yeah. oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, now now jim i do have a serious question for you is the factory tour still open I think it is. Uh, we so there was some sort of ex- exhibit. By that point, we spent like we, we were there like seven or eight hours. Say probably spent like so five. What you're, those, what you're saying is you didn't do it. Five <laughs> hours were spent on standing in line. So yeah, we we there there may have been we didn't do it. We at that point, everybody was exhausted. We went home and. Uh, uh, or went to the hotel and ate chocolate. So I'm not gonna lie; it was part of my tradition is is hitting Hershey Park and also hitting the tour of the quote chocolate factory. Which, for those of you who don't know, it's it's not. I don't believe it's even an actual working factory. It's certainly not the part you're touring. Um, it's a Disneyfied version, only it's a Hersheyfied version of how Hershey chocolate is made. And at the end, of course, you can purchase. Guess what? Hershey chocolate. And um, you don't even have to go into and pay for park admission to go and do that. Or they, that used to be the case anyway. And so it was always part of my thing is we'd go and do that first, park a car, and then go to the park for the day. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard to believe that we are rolling towards the end of the segment because we're just getting started to talk about some of the food that I found at the fair. So let's go ahead and continue that on in the next segment. I'm Mickey White. He is Jim Garrity. And you're listening to the one and the only Jim and Mickey Show. When that sun breaks out, lift up your head and shout, it's gonna be a great day. Kellogg's waits for you, that spirit comes shining through, promising you a great day. Mamma mia, that's a spicy meatball. God. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am your host, Mickey White, along with my co-host, Jim Garrity, and... We were talking about my trip home to my little small town in central PA where I grew up and was, in fact, the fair queen. And part of my trip was revolving around my list of foods that I planned to eat. Um, I did manage to work my way through my food list. I also took some pictures, which I will throw up on the Jim and Mickey uh, Facebook page. And it was an amazing experience because some of you may be familiar with um, one of the local eateries that was actually participating in the fair. It's called Denny's Beer Barrel Pub. And they are famous for being one of the largest burgers in the world, if not the largest burger in the world. They were one of the first to kind of do that really big burger thing. And they've been on nearly all of the... Food Network channels uh, shows. You know, people come in just to see this gigantic burger challenge that oh, they do. Adam Richmond and Man vs. Food, the, the show which basically 
look like we're going to try to kill the host. Yes, but ironically, <laughs> by, by the one place that Adam never came was Denny's Beer oh, Girl really? Pub. But several others have been there, including and include like pretty much everybody else from the Food Channel has been there that goes to those type of diner places um, or any type of record places because they make a hundred pound burger. They do it once a year for a charity, and they will make them for other things, but it's all usually for a charity situation. But this thing's ridiculous. And while I was home at the fair, they had a burger eating contest where they had four teams of four, and they had to eat a six-pound burger. And the six-pound was just the meat, not including the bun, the lettuce, the tomatoes, like fully topped with onions and whatnot. I, I like. Well, Mickey, I, is that six pounds before cooking or six pounds like after cooking? It matters. I have pictures. Again, I'll post them up on our Facebook page because you would not believe it until you saw it. Um, I actually managed to get pictures of the winner simply because of where they were located and where I was sitting. <laughs> um, but it was absolutely insane. And again, you know, Denny's is the kind of place where a lot of people come in. Colbert was there, as I said. And one of my friends works in the kitchen there and organizes a lot of these promotional activities and events to know when people are coming in because they need preparation. And apparently at one point, Adam Richmond was supposed to come in, um, but then decided that he wasn't going to be doing another series of shows. And that was during the man versus food era. Okay. And then you might recall he had a show called Man versus Food Nation. And now he has a show called Secret Eats. And I tell you this because Secret Eats is actually a cool new show that's on, um, I think it's on Travel Channel actually. It's not on the Food Network. But it was delayed in coming out because Adam Richmond had lost a great deal of weight after doing man versus food, because he kept saying at the beginning of every show, I'm not a competitive eater, but, well, not being a competitive eater, it took his toll on his body. And he came up with, like, all of these crazy illnesses that were induced by his eating. So he lost 70 pounds and was getting ready to start well, one another. One for him, too, I, I can't think of another show where, you know, it's this really fascinating concept going to places across the country that are known for having, you know, exceptionally large portions and, oh, my goodness, could, ever, could anyone ever possibly eat that thing in one sitting? But, Mickey, I remember a couple episodes where they just stopped the tape and it was pretty obvious that he had spent whatever time not taping – retching the hell out of his own guts. Yes. He would come back looking green. Yes. You just got a picturing, just, you know, like there's a vomit and then there's like copious amounts. As my friend said, as we were discussing this, it either comes out one end or the other. Do you guys remember that scene in uh, in Team America where the hero gets yes. drunk and, yes. and barfs in the alley? He must have had, yeah. <laughs> yes. He just you know, barfs and barfs and like barfs and barfs. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's the thing. And so anyway, apparently after he posted a picture of himself uh, that with a bodysuit that he had purchased, like a big bodysuit to show how much weight he had lost, um, some people were making fun of him and being really wretched towards him because he put the hashtag Thinspiration, which apparently is a dog whistle for those who with anorexia or eating disorders and not to make light of it, but they just went crazy on him. He then turned around and used some words that are usually only reserved for the English comedies. 
<laughs> <laughs> There's the European manners again. Yes. And um, suddenly his show was delayed and it's been renamed and relaunched. And I saw my first episode of it and I thought it was really interesting um, because it's much more about focusing on the different unique foods of different areas where he travels to, et cetera. And if you enjoy Adam Richmond, you would enjoy the show. But again, I couldn't help but think about him whenever I saw the six pound burgers come out because he was one of those people. And Mm -hmm. I asked my friend about it, and apparently he was one of the few to never actually visit Denny's. Um, huh. But who knew? You know, that's that's probably – it would be really funny if someone were like, what's the most famous thing to come out of your town or who's the most famous person? I would have to be like, well, we have this 100-pound burger. <laughs> <laughs> Is that uh, before or after cooking or before or after digestion? I want to know. <laughs> right? I, again, it was, it was just one of those things that, that I couldn't help but think of all of the reality shows and the food networks. And I, I realized, though, in watching it, I could never do this. I I had trouble watching them do it. I in fact oh, I you know I had to take a break in the middle like walk away come I mean who knew but it took them they actually set a new record in the 6 pound burger four person eating contest at <laughs> less than 40 minutes or something and I still had to take a break in the middle because I was like, I'm tired of watching people eat. Like, their jaws look tired. And then guys would stand up and they'd be, like, jumping up and down. Jamming and down it wasn't the fast system. like a hot dog. <laughs> yeah. You keep in mind, like, 90% of the, food, the shows on the Food Network are, here's some really fascinating stuff you can make. Here's some really fascinating places to visit. Oh, doesn't that food look good? And then they do Man versus Food, which is like, will this man barf? <laughs> <laughs> will this make him throw up? Doing okay so far. Don't worry about me. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, I think I'd much rather watch a show where I can, you know, see neat places to visit and enjoy myself and stuff. But, um, Mickey, did I hear from you correctly that uh, they're going to do a show about the Kardashians in Cuba? Uh, they've already aired the shows, The Kardashians Visit Cuba. It's a three-part propaganda. It's a three-part trilogy. Um, it's and enough to make expected, you really I, furious. I discussed with you guys before that we never see Kim Kardashian do anything or really anyone within the Kardashian family at this point do anything that they don't get paid for or is or is paid for as part of a promotional gift. And in this case, they were invited by Cuba to come visit by the Cuba tourism because right after it aired is when JetBlue opened up their airfare. Like it's, Again, it was a three-part series, but their very first night down there, that was when JetBlue, that week was when JetBlue was opening their flights to Cuba. Those people were complimenting the Cubans for having such a cute, artistic, kitschy, 1950s feel to their society. And I'm thinking, it's like they've been banned by their government from advancing past the 1950s. They keep those cars on the road because they're the only cars they've got. It's so stupid to say it's cute. Think think of it as like you're talking to like, I don't know, a child, eight (laughs) or nine year old. Um, and they're walking around and they see this. That's what they would think. Like, again, I don't hold it against them. They just have very limited, like, they're more bubble-like than you would ever oh, think. It's like, horrible. As far as their own little world. It was so great to have three days without a cell phone to not have to be in touch. It's like they don't have a cell phone network in Cuba. They're stuck uh, in the I 1950s. I the impression that Dave was watching the Kardashians. <laughs> I heard about it. I didn't watch uh, I'm just saying. Because... I'm taking it indirectly, but I heard. <laughs> 
No, I did not watch the Kardashians. I know that you are secretly keeping up Get with the Kardashians with me. Um, I, I certainly hope so anyway, because nope. someday we'll be able to secretly no, no. about it. They have heard it through the Cuban grapevine. <laughs> That's right. Nice. Gracias, senor. They, as they far as I know, people. they did not. I, I didn't see anything. I don't know what ended up on the director's cutting floor. I don't think they met up with the Traficante family. So how that a win. Dave heard it through the Cuban grapevine because that's the only communications program they have in Cuba. <laughs> <laughs> the jungle drums were collected by government as tax. <laughs> <laughs> and smoke signals, I guess, are out. It was, it was cigar smoke <laughs> signals that's the other alternative that's the backup system that's now, so. Right. <laughs> um no it's so so question mickey since i'll refuse to watch out of a general aversion to the kardashians and the cuban regime <laughs> uh does it at any point acknowledge the fact that it's a deeply unfree country and you could be you know sent to jail and there's no elections or anything like that do they even acknowledge any of that or it's like no hey look nice beaches in this dictatorship uh not really i mean part of the kardashians is that it is a travel log of sorts i've realized that in doing my own self-imposed marathon that you all are keeping up with whether you like it or not and i realize it's a great deal of travel log they get a lot of promotionary travel gifts um to go and visit different places and in this case it was cuba um part of the whole push to you know get travel there the idea being that um you know again it's going to happen anyway. There's, it's not like they were the Kardashians did not open free flight into Cuba. <laughs> um, you know, they just happened to take advantage of it. And so it's much more travelogue than anything else. But again, at the same time, Guy Fieri was in Cuba doing a show for the Food Network. So there you go. Yeah, I can, I can blame him too. I myself, if, if this turns into a trend though, Mickey, I, am, I really would love to see the Kardashians hit Pyongyang, uh, <laughs> trying out all the sites and cuisines of North Korea uh, and things like that. And, and you know, uh, you know, or maybe Guy Fieri could do that. You say, man, the the grass and grandparents are taste fantastic over there. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, I think one of the things that people obviously underestimate about the Kardashians is their ability to help an economy. And when they visit a city or area um, or even a small country, oftentimes they benefit from just the visit and the exposure the Kardashians naturally bring. And I think that Cuba was just one of those places that likes to take advantage of it. And I've told you, you know, it's not like we made it legal, so I might still go. I mean, we go to China, and how is this any different than going to China? That is a fair point. Uh, yeah. There's, yeah. There's you know, no Great Wall of Cuba. I'll try that one. Yeah, but so I don't want to see a big great wall. I want to see Cuba. <laughs> and I want them to show me Havana like it was in my fantasies. That's what I want. I hear Rakan Syria is lovely this time of year. Um, I mean, is, is it safe to say that at some point there's, there's a place run by a regime? I'm not going there. I'm not doing anything to, you know, like for, for sure journalism purposes, if I could expose what's wrong about a place like that, I would certainly go. But for vacation, are you kidding me? You know. A little too faced. All part of the. I don't think it's truly vacation yet. Um, keep in mind that you know, with the Kardashians going there and some of the other people going there, they're they're staying in you know probably the best hotel that's available, the one. And so, as things kind of developed, you might see more tourist development around that. But again, it's just one of those things. I I want to see Havana. I, I want to hear the stories of the Traficantes and, you know, and all of the different things that supposedly made Cuba so hot back in Havana nights, blah, 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 
to me, if if I can go anyway, it's not illegal to go. And I don't necessarily know that I'm hurting any of the people by traveling there either. Because if I give money to the local economy, eventually that has to help, right? No, uh, it's too late. You pop up the regime, not necessarily, but that's a... We're, this this is the intersection between Meet the Press and the Travel Channel. Because <laughs> <laughs> I want to travel everywhere. And don't forget the horrible Worldwide. food. We have an intersection of three shows. Yeah, so, and again, like, I thought it was interesting that Guy Fieri ended up down there, or Fiette, ended up down there as well. Fieri. Look, if there's, uh, uh, there's going to be, you know, traveling and lots of Americans going to Havana, can an NFL franchise be far behind? After all, they're finally back in Los Angeles. We'll be talking the NFL season and the wrap-up of the Olympics right after this. Chicken licking. I'd like We're closed, lady. My cousin's dropped in. Lady, I'm mopping up. What are you mopping with? What am I mopping with? What kind of cleanup? A liquid. Mix some spick and span. Spick and span? Want to get home? It'll put power in the water. Go over where you just cleaned. But it's clean. Look. Spick and span wouldn't leave all that greasy dirt. Hey, thanks, lady. If there's anything I could ever do for you. I have these cousins who dropped in. Spick and span. Gets the dirt liquid cleaners leave behind. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey show. I am Jim Garrity. Mickey White. And two important parts of the sports calendar overlapping briefly upon this coming weekend. One, NFL preseason is uh, really accelerating and beginning. I understand the, the fields are actually now all fixed unlike in the Hall of Fame game. And the Olympics are wrapping up. And uh, just to a point, you know, Mickey, didn't we say a couple, uh, you know, let's say like a month ago, two months ago, that we were, we were ready for these games to be a disaster? Yes. I think we were one of the first to be on the Rio is going to be a nightmare bandwagon. I believe we started talking about 100 days out when NBC started touting it, and we realized that half of the things weren't built yet. Look, we've had a couple of pools turn green, uh, <laughs> not because of peeing in the pool, apparently because of some problem with the chlorine or something. No, 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 no. I know. I got the answer right here. They, they, the manager of the pool came on and said it was a contractor's employee, but the errors of a contractor's employee are my errors, but then he blamed it on the contractor's employee. So <laughs> a real wriggle on the part of the manager said someone put 80 liters of hydrogen peroxide in the pool two days before the event started to neutralize the chlorine apparently to be nice to the swimmers and divers and then after ryan lochte dived in and rinsed out his hair there was 85 liters of hydrogen peroxide in there and they put it in there too soon so all the parasites started thriving as soon as the chlorine was neutralized and that's what happened it was hydrogen peroxide oh we're in the very best of hands um as of, so speaking of Ryan Lochte, I mean, as of this recording, and, and by the time you find listeners hear this, it may, the circumstance may have changed. Um, as of this recording, we have not seen athletes get massacred by vicious criminal gangs. <laughs> We've only seen Lochte held at gunpoint and three other American swimmers. Uh, and they gave up their, their wallets and, and phones and things like that. A couple other cases of athletes being mugged. Uh, the bronze uh, uh, medalist in judo. Uh, which I guess kind of indicates why he got the bronze and not the gold. <laughs> how do you? How does a uh, judo star yeah. get mugged? <laughs> yeah. uh, Australia told its athletes not to go to the uh, Copacabana Beach because it's too dangerous. So, uh, Mickey, you know, looking at what we've seen in the Olympics so far as they approach their conclusion, uh, a lot less Zika than we expected. But uh, and go. You know, the the violent crime is living up to our expectations. <laughs> uh, Mickey, any any thoughts as the Olympics approach their conclusion? 
Well, I, one, I think that, you know, don't be too hasty in counting Zeke out. It's so early. <laughs> and I think that the other thing to keep in mind is, you know, at this taping or recording, people hate to say taping anymore, um, but at this time, Brazil was also requesting that Lochte turn over his passport. Meanwhile, he's already back in the U.S. So, yeah. Bureaucrats are the same all over. Brazilian security is on it. Yeah. So, you know, if you were worried about security, don't. Like, don't think twice about it. They got this covered. I thought they were in trouble when the severed hands washed up on the beach myself. That was like months before. Well, my thought was the fact that, you know, obviously there was some question as to whether or not it happened in the beginning, et cetera. And the IOC called Brian Lochte's mom a liar, basically, and said it didn't happen. And then they came out and corrected themselves. And I firmly believe that it was because he told them that, you know, four cops robbed him, not four people, quote, dressed like cops. (laughs) Wow. That's even worse because you don't know whether they were cops or not. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know, and in, in those type of countries, corruption specifically there is warning wild. I, I'm sitting here, I'm picturing NBC seething, because as long as it's like the Bulgarian coaches getting mugged or decapitated or something like that, they can kind of downplay it, right? You know, oh, unfortunate. Let's take you back out to gymnastics. Um, but if it's an American <laughs> athlete, and not just like an American athlete, but American athlete Americans have heard of, you know, they can't ignore that, and they did the interview with him. And I, I salute Ryan Lochte for his laid-back attitude of, the guy asked for my wallet, put a gun to my head, and I was like, whatever. Um, <laughs> the most American swimmer statement of all time. If I ever, I was just mug, thinking that, that, like that could not be more Ryan Lochte. Yeah. <laughs> whatever, dude, take the wallet. <laughs> do what you need to do, yo. <laughs> but you just don't know. I I was in Moscow about 15 years ago, and I had a street cop walk up to me and give me an up and down glance from the top of my head to my toes, and a long pause on all my camera equipment. And I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt he was considering inventing some sort of crime to charge me with to see if he could get some money off of me. But he decided, fortunately for me, to move along to a more prosperous-looking fellow. So my recommendation to you is when you're touring in those third world countries be sure you don't look like you have money in your pocket <laughs> the that uh, is, I, great advice take that down as something to add to your tgm's travel tips because i will absolutely endorse that when we travel outside the country specifically to south america or central america i don't wear my engagement rings i don't wear any of my real jewelry in fact i don't take any um, if we have any further audio problems with this episode of the podcast, I think it constitutes the uh, uh, Russian FSB intelligence messing with Dave for calling Moscow a third world country. <laughs> I've been there, boys. I know what enough, I saw. Enough. I'm sure they have a file on Dave as thick as you know, the telephone books. I was thinking, um, I can't wait till Dave writes his book. It's going to be awesome. I've been to the Lubyanka, just not been inside yet. Ooh. Oh, I should also mention because um, I, I don't. I mean, I guess this is technically me, you know, bragging on myself. But I should mention because it's out there. I did write a my very first piece for the Federalist, and it was on the Olympics and how they could improve the coverage, which has sucked. Um, hopefully, someone will read that who actually you know can make those kind of decisions and make something happen. Um, I salute you, Mickey. The Federalist is a fine, fine institution. 
uh, easily one of the top two or three conservative publications out there behind National Review. Maybe number two, uh, number three, something like that. I, uh, I salute uh, a, a fine topic, and I think you know, giving much-needed advice to NBC to how to make coverage of the Olympics enjoyable again. Uh, I myself am finding myself happy to see the, the Olympics approaching the rearview mirror. Um, the, the real sports season is beginning, and uh, I don't know about you, Mickey. I'm one of those people who actually bothers to um, uh, pay attention to these things. I, I, I actually kind of enjoy preseason football. Am I crazy? No, we DVO the games. Okay. Oh, and, and by the way, so you, you as the Steeler fan, um, as of this taping, what do you think James Harrison should do? He's, he's mm. basically facing a major threat from the NFL. Spill what you know about uh, other people's use or, or face suspension. Yeah. Um, one, he's not going to tell Commissioner anything. So, you know, but as far as the meeting goes, this is coming down to a pissing match between the union and the owner. So to speak, a little drug test double entendre <laughs> there? <laughs> yes. A pissing match. <laughs> so, yes, it's a literal pissing match. They, they have a wee bit of a problem. Yeah. <laughs> they do. They do. You're and, in you know, trouble now, boys. You're in the right territory. <laughs> it's just that, you know, at this point, I feel like James is in a rock and a hard place situation because he has already said he does not want to talk to Roger Goodell, nor should he have to. Uh, it is my understanding that they surprised him with a piss test last night after practice, um, a random piss test. And obviously at this point, you know, Goodell's putting a great deal of pressure on and he's seeing how far he can push it. And the players union, because it's not just James Harrison, there are three others involved. The players union is pushing back and saying, no, these guys gave you a statement. You either have like a reason to push back against these particular players or you're just strong arming them because just accusing them of doing something or demanding that they tell you if they know something, you can't just do that. That's outside the realm of even your civil rights in this particular case. Doesn't the league have a, an one, an obligation or a duty, whichever word you want to use there to prevent uh, use of substances like this? Well, look, here's, here's how I feel about it. Yes, if they fail a piss test, this is not the case with these players. None of them that I'm aware of necessarily failed one of these performance-enhancing drug tests, PED tests. Um, this was just, these were players that were selected by the commissioner to demand that they come in and speak with him on the matter of performance-enhancing drugs, and instead of speaking with him, they gave him written statements from their attorneys, so they were affidavits, and gave them to him, and now he's trying to demand that he has all the power, and they will come speak to him on it. Um, None of them have refused drug tests that I'm aware of. In fact, like I said, I think Harrison was tested last night, but it's more or less the commissioner trying to enforce his almighty power and, of course, now the owners aren't happy, and neither is the union, but this is all part of the collecting bargaining agreement that they agreed to, what, four years ago. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let me put to you, and I'm, I'm going to put forth an argument I'm not 100% sure I agree with myself. So think of this as being devil's advocate. Mickey, aren't players custodians of the game as well as the commissioner? Well, yes. Right. And they have a responsibility to preserve the integrity of the game as much as the offices in New York do, right? Sure. Right? So if they know about somebody using performance-enhancing drugs, the right thing to do is to report them, right? 
No. As if. No. I mean, like, so, is this stitches to get stitches, or, or you know, like, <laughs> I would cut you. You and I could never be on the same team. You would totally buckle under the pressure. Um, I want all of our listeners to know that while I don't agree that all snitches get stitches, in this particular case, I tend to fall on that line because, one, performance-enhancing drugs has only been an issue for the last, like, 10, 15 years when they decided they could test for it. Prior to that, the people that played football in the 70s and 80s took whatever the hell they wanted. And in the end, karma catches up with you. You're not really enhancing your performance, but so much. I was going to say, there's a part of me that looks at this and says, look, I think you want to avoid the Lyle Alzados of the world. You want to avoid the cases of, of circumstance like this. And if there was this general, ad, like, basically it sounds like the, the, you're, you're seeing the league shift from a uh, don't use performance enhancing drugs to don't get caught using performance enhancing drugs. And I think that is a... Uh, a, a bad thing. This is one of those rare circumstances you'll find my, me becoming more sympathetic to Commissioner Goodell. But uh... that is not at all surprising. You are such a goody good. <laughs> that doesn't shock me even in the least. But I need you to understand that was why you would not be in my locker room. You know, Mickey, when they institute the podcast uh, drug drug testing program uh, <laughs> over at SoundCloud and all that stuff, look, I hear half the people doing podcasts are juicing. Uh, there's no way they can make that schedule day after day. And after listening to many podcasts, I don't think juicing is what many people are doing when they're list- they are when they're creating their iTunes or SoundCloud podcast. That's the weed test, <clears throat> the weed the weed agency. <laughs> Going into the late hours of the night, discussing your astrological sign, things like that. Loading up your fat cells with 30 days worth of t- detectable THC. <laughs> Snort. Time to wrap, gang. It, this snorting one's more than reason. over. We need drug testing here. And, uh, <laughs> what else is Mickey snorting? I'm <laughs> peeing right now. <laughs> oh my God. We'll be right back after this. I'm sure a lot of people think this is just some radio shtick. Introducing Popeye's all new comic strip glasses. Yours to keep when you buy a 69 cent soft drink. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And Mickey, you and I have not merely a pop culture podcast. We don't just talk about movies and TV and food and and, uh, reality television and things like that. No, no, no. We have a literate podcast, don't we? Oh, absolutely. We are a culture podcast, son. We're going to discuss books in this segment, uh, or specifically two books I recently read. I think you would kind of like them, Mickey. Uh, I am not usually a horror reader, um, but this is by two books by the author Sarah Lotz, L-O-T-Z. She is a South African writer, had it recommended to me as a somebody who really straddles the line between is this something supernatural and otherworldly happening or is it merely uh, uh, realistic, ominous events? And somebody who really kind of threads that needle and leaves you guessing till the end. Um, and I came to a conclusion from these two books, Mickey. You know what that is? What is that? We need, uh, if you're going to write a, a horror story, it requires at least one sympathetic protagonist. You need at least, even if the movie is really about the monster, really about something terrible, even about something that goes bump in the night and frightens us, uh, even if it's something like that, in the end, you need somebody to be rooted. You need Jamie Lee Curtis. Somebody in a bikini, anyway. 
Well, yes, you need someone relatable, and you need someone that you actually care whether or not they die. Otherwise, the point is missed. Um, I was going to say, yeah, then ultimately the first, so these two books, uh, they're pretty easy, pretty easy to remember. First one is called The Three, uh, and I give credit, to, a lot of credit to Lots for two fantastic concepts in each of these books. The first is, uh, of the three, there are four airplane crashes in a 24-hour period. In three of the crashes, they, there's one survivor, a child who appears to be miraculously unharmed um, around, the, around the globe. And there's the, the fourth one, uh, there does not appear to be a survivor, but there's rumors it crashed in the slums of Johannesburg, South Africa, and people are wondering if the, survivors, the surviving child wandered off. A radical preacher begins, this is, a, you know, people are asking, is this a modern-day miracle? How could this possibly happen? Uh, and it creates this culture, very much a, a global media culture, very much like our own, very much driven by the Internet, about relentless speculation. Um, apparently she wrote this before the uh, uh, Malaysian Airlines jetliner disappeared, and it really feels kind of like the, the, the relentless atmosphere of speculation that led to CNN anchor Don Lemon, honest to God, asking a host, could it have been sucked into a wormhole? Is there a possibility? <laughs> um, so it, it it takes place in an area where CNN makes sense. Kind of a little bit, you know, where, where things have happened. Because you know, even if, it, if 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 you reject the wormhole theory that Don Lemon was such an advocate for, uh, you still have the the really equally unnerving scenario: either that the pilot was suicidal or the plane just disappeared one day. And generally, in today's modern world, that doesn't happen that often. I don't so, mean to be racist, but Don Lemon said black hole. Ah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. I did not know he's a black hole. So, yeah, generally, if there was a black hole, the whole planet would have been sucked into it. So there you go. Now, see, um, to me, I need you to understand, to me, that the book that you are describing is a sci-fi book. To me, that is not a horror book. Um, unless, you know, again, it sounds like there might be some supernatural involved. But yeah. for me, when I want a horror book, like, I used to read a lot of Dean Koontz. Okay. Um, when I was younger, I read Stephen King, and then his books got really tired and sad. And like I said, even Dean Koontz wore off on me for a while. I tend to like mine to be more like murder mystery type mm -hmm. when I think of horror. I know you're shocked. Everyone's shocked. The listeners are shocked. Um, but to me, it sounds like this is much yeah, more like sci-fi. Like, this is like Genesis Code, Michael Crichton stuff. You're, you're probably correct and it is uh but there's definitely an, an atmosphere of ominousness uh people well, wondering so if this is sort of... jurassic park a horror book yeah okay kind of you know um you know people asking is this a sign of the apocalypse is, is something larger than humanity at work here uh and a radical a, a radical preacher begins believing these are the if the four children uh are these are the four horsemen of the apocalypse and that the end is at hand and kind of this idea of this mass hysteria begins to take uh, to take root, people who the, the ending is not quite as, of 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 the three um, is not nearly as clear as I think a lot of readers wanted it to be. Like, oh, don't worry, she's working on another book. Maybe that'll shed a little bit more light. The second book is called Day Four. The first one is called Three. Okay. Second one is called Day Four. Her next book presumably will have the number five in the title somewhere, um, and it involves a cruise ship that uh, has three days of a rather mundane. Uh, cruise around the Gulf of Mexico, and then on day four, all of a sudden, the engines stop working, the power goes out, and they are stuck in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico. 
another great concept. All right, what happened? Why, why can't they find anyone? Why isn't anyone rescuing them? What's going on? This atmosphere of growing paranoia on the ship, you know, passengers being found dead. Something, something has gone terribly something wrong. Something is amiss. Yeah. The problem with this book is that you hate everyone on the ship and you're hoping it will sink. <laughs> you know, like you need we needed at least one or two symp- genuinely sympathetic characters. And I think Lotz as an author has such a cynical worldview of humanity uh, that there's nobody to latch onto as as the person we identify with and want to see come through it. OK. And, well, and even though her her setup of this world, the forces working are, are really kind of intriguing and have a lot of possibilities. Um, kind of an unnerving, uh, uh, clear set of circumstances here. Of like you, we, you know, like I, as I'm reading this, I'm like, she's a good writer. She's got these great concepts, but man, at some point early on, somebody needed to need to say, give us a hero, give us a heroine, give us somebody to like in this. Uh, otherwise, it turns into you feel like you're stuck on that ship with everybody else, and you're desperate to get off. <laughs> I think the yeah, female think author has trouble creating characters of young women in bikinis, which would solve all the problems in my book. Or that, yeah. (laughs) I think that a lot of authors forget the value of creating a character that people will like. Because even if they can write a phenomenally intense scene, if, as Jim said, you don't care if everybody on the ship dies, then you aren't as invested as you are in, in other books where you actually, you know, care. See all of the books by Brad Thor and others where they have one main character that people love so much that he just has to put him on different adventures and things like that. Um, Mr. Bias, big Clive Cussler reader, same concept, and with Dirk Pitt. So the idea being that you have this character that's so fantastic that everyone loves this character, and as you mentioned, it's a hero character. These guys, you know, they might mess up, but it's like a minor mess up, Mm. and then they just keep rolling. And what I think the problem comes in is when you have a quote-unquote hero or heroine who is just so screwed up or so unlikable that you're supposed to be like, oh, you know, they're a bad person, but you still want them to succeed. But instead, you as an actual reader just don't like them. Die already. <laughs> it's, it's a fascinating concept, but it's flawed in two ways. One being that if you read both books back to back like I just did, you can see the connections between the two and piece together – what kind of sinister force is at work in manipulating the world in this? Um, the other thing is it, it's, you know, spoiler alert, um, the bad forces in this world are like nearly omnipotent. Like, like picture mischievous God and you kind of have the idea there. Or the NSA. And, yeah, and so at that point, like one, like only, you know, only some characters have even the faintest inkling of this nefarious force at work. And at the end of it, like... <laughs> You're like, well, well, that's the way it is. <laughs> I mean, it really is kind of like, like, I guess that's the dark twist at the end, is that there is nobody who's rising up against this uh, nefarious force that's doing these bad things. Um, but it's, it, it, it just kind of leaves you uh, hanging. The, the first book got very good reviews. It definitely seemed like it was going to take us places. The second book got trashed. Um, and I can see why. And it's a shame because it otherwise was a very intriguing concept here. And she really does have a nice job of like, Leaving you with that thing of like, am I reading about people's hallucinations? Uh, are they really seeing what they're seeing? Is this really going on? It's a, it's a really nice tone to hit where you don't really know whether you're reading, you know, the Ooga Booga Man is there or whether this is just an unreliable narrator. And um, sadly, it doesn't and, go. And the, so this, named, the first one is named Three and the second one is named Day Four? Correct. Okay. And, uh, so hopefully she'll, she'll rebound. You know, enough talent there to make you want to see 
see more and better from her. Um, but uh, that, that was my this was my fun summer reading. I needed something cheerier than the presidential campaign, so I read horror novels. <laughs> read horror novels. I could have recommended some that would have actually scared you, but probably not actually something that shows up in the news the next day. As you know, again, as we're talking about this, we just had the cruise ship catch fire in the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> What happened to the girls with bikinis? I have to know. I know, right? Like more girls with bikinis, less horror story, Jim, really. I discussed this in the uh, Morning Jolt newsletter, and I, thankfully they did not run an ad for the National Review cruise right underneath it. Um, <laughs> Good call. Good call because, you know, getting me on that cruise is tough enough, and then I see these things about cruises, and I think there's no way I'm getting on a cruise ship. It's just not happening. Uh, you need to go on the cruise so you can be the sympathetic girl in the bikini. Oh, oh that would be my role? Does that mean that Jim would be the hero? I ain't I'm not sorry. I'm the first one on the lifeboat. I'm the um, dispassionate <laughs> observer that keeps going back to the buffet. I've already kicked him out of my locker room, so you think I'm going to let him in charge of my life phone? <laughs> hey, Mickey, if you could cruise anywhere, where would you want to cruise? That would make a good Trivial Tuesday, wouldn't it? Uh, yes, yes, although we didn't talk about cruising, we talked about moving, and we'll be right back to wrap the show and give you some of the answers from the last Trivial Tuesdays. Maybe we could live without the wisecracks. You can feel uneasy about your bathroom. The best fresh ingredients are what make Betty Crocker potato dishes taste so good. <laughs> Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And we're almost at the end of our program. But before we leave, we always contemplate the answers of this week's Trivial Tuesday. Have you thought about moving? And if so, where would you move? A little bit different from the where would you vacation uh, question. And that's a really fascinating uh, question to put before people, uh, Mickey. If I, first question, so where would you move if you were, if you were ready to move? Well, I have, you know, not necessarily been secretive about the idea that I wouldn't mind moving to Texas or to Florida on the Gulf. And so that's what I put forth. Basically, Mr. Bias and I, he would like to be somewhere more to the middle of the Gulf. And I am open to Texas and Florida. And we've discussed this as part of, you know, like a five, ten year plan. And so I put that forth to our listeners, and I was fascinated how many of them had given this thought as well. Kevin, who is one of our really loyal listeners and friends, um, he's out in Albuquerque, and he says he only has two moves left in him. One, to target a larger house closer to work, and the next to Florida for retirement. Two good choices. I was going to say Florida is kind of on my list. My uh, Mrs. Campaign Spot has kind of ruled it out. Uh, she, she, just, she does not like Miami. Uh, I always find myself enjoying it. The only question about Florida is, like, do you want to, like, hunker down and prepare to lose everything you own in a hurricane every, like, decade or so? That kind of seems like a, a significant risk to, to take on if you're willing to, if, you know, to, it was where, you know, if you're willing to live with, you know, live with that and to get the beaches and warm weather year-round and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Also, no yeah. state sales tax. Yeah, no state right. sales tax, lots of jobs. There's not one in Texas either. Well, I don't mean there's, there's... And they don't do the car inspections in Florida. There's like a zillion reasons to move to Florida. I Literally, looking at their tax rates alone, Texas and Florida make themselves very competitive. Texas has a sales to, uh, tax, but it's only like 8%. Yeah. yeah. Um, according to Governor no Lex Luthor, um, something like you know, 1.5 million people have moved there the last couple of years, and it's, it's you know, growing by leaps and bounds. And um, you know, the tax rates are mostly paid by people who have summer homes. So, or winter yeah. homes, so. 
There you go. Uh, nice well, you here we that. go. Here's one from Tyler uh, on Twitter. He is Raiders Ute, and he wants to go anywhere that's warm enough to where I never ever have to snuggle show. I'm sorry, shovel snow ever again. I think Mickey needs to pee, don't you, Jim? <laughs> The second Noble thing show. would then be if he uh, <laughs> is releasing as many chlorofluorocarbons into the atmosphere as he can. <laughs> he to promote global warming, so he just doesn't have to deal with that. Um, yeah, it's an interesting. The other thing I've been thinking about is I, you know, I, I like the Pacific Northwest. I've enjoyed all my trips up there. Um, do you ever find yourself, Mickey, in a situation where like you love the the uh, the climate, the atmosphere, the scenery, the landscape, uh, but you just wish it was governed really differently? <laughs> Mm-hmm. I need a red state Pacific Northwest. And I don't think that really works. <laughs> Good luck with that. Um, some more from our listeners. And Dave, somehow I feel like you would relate to Emma. And she is Emma P, so maybe that's it. But she wants to go to <laughs> Vegas, Barcelona, or Athens. Athens? I've been to Athens. It's kind of cool. You don't want to go there in the height of summer because it does get hot, but... It is kind of a glorious place to walk around and see stuff if you can avoid being run over by a Greek person on a scooter. I, I love the variety that we're getting because you know, I, I got several that said Texas. I'm not going to lie. There were a lot of those that suggested Texas. Um, some people suggested, you know, I've already moved there. I'm there now. And one of our followers and friends sent out, um, his name is Mr. Jones, and sent us from Ventura, California, and only spent six months there and loved it, and then, or Italy, or someplace in the South Pacific. <laughs> so I felt like he was really kind of open to a lot of different options. You know, going through that list, I, it's interesting how often climate plays a factor, right? And people are like, ah, oh, you know, I can't stand the winters and all that kind of stuff. Texas, look, the people are great. Uh, the food is fantastic. Uh, everything is bigger there, including Dave. Um, but in yeah. all of that, you know, Dave, you, you do describe the, the summers as, as being you know, leading to spontaneous human combustion on a regular basis. No doubt about it. Yeah. Uh, which kind of seems like a, you know, I, I, my suspicion is it seems like everybody in the north who has cold winters wants to move south, and everybody who's south wants to move north where they don't have to deal with the summer heat. And everyone who doesn't have money wants a home in both places to spend six months in. <laughs> there you go. It, it's like an O. Henry story. Yep. Uh, and the week before, we also discussed some books with our listeners, so I might bring those out next week um, because, as you've mentioned, we are a culture show. We read, and we have listeners who read a lot, too. You can read in any, in any climate. That's the good news, yes. <laughs> um, the fun thing might be also the worst place you've ever lived. Might be a, may, I, may I recommend that for next week's uh, yes. Trivial Tuesday? I, I, will take, I will take recommendations. Um, I do encourage people to stop by our Facebook page. I've been trying to put some things up there. I'm going to put some pictures up from the fair, um, some additional stories there. Jim and I both have personal Facebook pages as well. His is under Jim Garrity. Mine is under Bias Girl. Mine's brand new. Jim's is much better. Um, you can always find us on Twitter. I'm at Bias Girl. Jim is at Jim Garrity. And uh, you can always find the show at soundcloud.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show. I really want to take a second here to thank our listeners, Jim, because they've been with us throughout the summer where I know they've been on vacation. We've been on vacation and we're actually coming up on our two year anniversary. So we need to maybe have a special show for that. Wow. Two years. Um, actually, I, we definitely need to do something special for that. Maybe rec- bring back all of our our great guests from over the years. Um, and also point out, look, there are a lot of people who start podcasts. There are a lot of very nice podcasts out there, but very few that, you know, uh, manage to 
churn out, I think, the good quality that we do week after week. W E A K or or in some cases week after bi week or <laughs> once a month. Week after convention after convention. There you go. Right. Yeah, it's, it's been a rough August. Okay, <laughs> we will come. And we want to we want to thank Jazz Shaw specifically, even though Jim is the one who continued to refer to you as um, as my adversary. It's really Jim Garrity again. I want to put him on the chopping block for that. But a big thank you to all of our listeners, all of our fans. You can find us as always um, on iTunes, on the 405 Radio, on Altcon Radio, on Spreaker, and pretty much anywhere that you listen to podcasts. If you can't find us, let us know, and we'll make sure that we're available to you. I'm Mickey White, he's Jim Garrity, and you've been listening to The Jim and Mickey Show. Oh, please let them be funny this once. It's time to get things started on the most sensational, inspirational, celebrational, motivational, this is what we The Jim and Mickey Show. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>